Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. What's going on, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix back for another episode here on The Code. Thank you so much for joining me. And um, man, I'm really excited that you guys tuned into this episode. We have an awesome interview lined up for you guys today. Uh, I'm sitting across Zoom here, Denver to the Whitefish, Montana area with Chris Irwin. Chris is a uh, retired Navy SEAL commander, and he's been through an experience with mental and physical challenges, chronic illnesses from his time, like post his time in the military. And um, through an extensive journey of self-discovery and overcoming the battles that he was dealing with, um, he just has an amazing story and um, his brand Rare Sense and the topic that he talks about, mind fitness. Uh, I'm just so excited to to talk to you guys about and share this information with you guys. So Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And um, so what I'd like to do in a minute, I'm going to have Chris do a more thorough introduction of himself, but to give you guys a little bit of context who are listening to this episode, our owner of Physio Room, Chris and I, and one of our team members, we were at a physical therapy conference recently, a coaching conference that was outside of Denver here. And Chris actually was the uh, kind of keynote speaker uh, right after lunchtime, the the hard slot to speak, right? Right after lunchtime. Right. And oh, um, so he he got invited and or asked, I should say, to to come present at this conference. And as you can imagine, there were a lot of physical therapy practice business owners in the room, a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of husband and wife duos. And if you know anything about entrepreneurship, you'll know that it's a huge self-development uh, journey. And it's a self-development experience. And really your, your business usually only goes as far as you're able to grow and develop as an individual. And with that comes a lot of challenges, whether that's stress or whether that's relationship struggles and um, inside the family, out of the family. And Chris was a speaker and he spoke on this topic of mind fitness. And man, it just really hit home with not only me, but a lot of the other people that were sitting in the room. And um, as soon as we got back home uh, after the conference, I just reached out to the the host and said, hey, I want to get in touch with Chris. Can you share his contact information? We need to put this information on our podcast. So that's why we're here. And um, yeah, Chris, if you could do us all a favor and just do a little bit more of a background introduction of yourself and um, tell us a little bit about your history. And then we'll get into the topic of, of what the heck is mind fitness. And, and you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So uh, like you said, I'm a retired SEAL. I was in the SEAL teams for 20 years total, 14 on active duty, six in the reserves. Um, so I got off active duty 2011, which it's hard to believe that's 12 years ago at this point. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, prior to that, I grew up in Massachusetts. I went to the Naval Academy. Um, I went to graduate school in England. Um, and then I went to, to Bud's after that. Um, but uh, I'm somebody who you kind of alluded to had a lot of mental health challenges post-service. Certainly, mm-hmm. right as I was getting out of the military, was really struggling in a lot of ways. Uh, and those mental issues manifested themselves physically as well. I didn't realize that was what was happening at the time. I thought I was kind of suffering from real physical challenges. And there, 
there's something to be said that I was, it's complicated, but there was an enormous mental component, which was really the driver of everything. And then in 2016, I kind of really fell off a cliff physically with a chronic illness that compounded everything. Mm. And by 2019, I had gotten to the point where I was so dysfunctional mentally and physically that I was like on the verge of basically taking my own life. It was just like, things were so bad. I had done so much in terms of treatment protocols and trying to go to doctors and therapists and alternative therapies, you name it. And Mm -hmm. nothing could really move the needle for me in any real way. And I was just kind of at like rock bottom. And I was able to emerge from that by sort of doubling down on the mental aspect of things. There's certainly things that I've done along the way physically as well in terms of sort of, I mean, you can call it different things, detoxing or whatever it may be. Uh, And I still work on some of that stuff too. I would say I'm in terms of like a full recovery, I'm probably at the like, I don't know, 85, 90% solution. But even even that is a little bit of a misnomer. I tell people this is a this is a lifelong pursuit, just like physical fitness is a life, lifelong pursuit. You never really get to the finish line. It's just, mm-hmm. you're just tr- trying to make yourself kind of better and better each day. And then hopefully get to a point where it's essentially maintenance from that point on, right? Like you've gotten to this point where you're happy with things and then you, you kind of slide a little bit back and forth, right? But you're, you're maintaining at that point. I'm still chipping a little bit away at sort of getting to that point where I can maintain again, where I kind of was, call it, 15 years ago. But anyway, so I really just, um, I really went deep on the mental aspect of things and just realizing that your mind is the primary driver of everything. It is really the start point and end point for all fitness and thinking of it as a holistic fitness discipline, not a physical fitness and mental health thing, but this interconnected mind-body solution that's really driven by your mind. Because it has to be. And so once I started doing that, I started to make more gains and kind of saw progress. And and then I was able to take all of the knowledge I'd gained in, call it 10 plus years of, of doing these things and try to put it, to like coalesce it into something that's actionable and something that's a little bit of a new take on mental health. I mean, so much of mm-hmm. what I've, what I kind of came to realize was we're just doing it wrong in a lot of ways. Like the way we approach mental health is just wrong in so many ways. And I I talked about that in the, in the talk where we, we treat it like a pathology. We treat it as like this sort of binary thing. Like you either have mental health problems or you don't. Mm -hmm. I just started to look at it in a completely new context of like, the fitness of your mind is just like the fitness of your body. It exists on a spectrum. It's something you can train. The changes happen slowly for the most part, but it's a discipline that you have to commit to on a kind of a lifelong basis, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how much you need, right? Just like just like the physical component of, th- of things. And those things then will work together to your benefit. And the other thing is that, you know, it really goes beyond mental toughness. I think we hear so much about mental toughness. Like that's kind of all you hear these days in terms of, if you want to call it sort of self-help mental health, the message is basically just like, suck it up. 
go harder, get up earlier, go faster. That's There's tons of kind of influencers and pundits out there that essentially have that same message. And that's not a bad message. That's something good. Like we all need that. But if you look at that, that idea through the lens of veterans or first responders or athletes or whatever, all those people are really mentally tough, right? The right. people that go become SEALs are super mentally tough. That's what got them through the program in the first place. Sure. So the fact that we have sort of record numbers of mental health problems and suicides and things like that in the veteran community means that mental toughness isn't the problem. Sure. Right? Yeah. It's not the whole problem. And so I just thought, look, there's a lot of other things to add to the mix. That doesn't solve everything. If you are, if you're like sitting at home every night with anxious thoughts or depressive thoughts or suicidal ideation, suck it up, suffer in silence, go harder, whatever. That doesn't mean anything. That that's I don't even know how to do that, right? Like, you know, if you, if you go to somebody like, man, I'm having, you know, I'm really anxious a lot. I'm really worrying about things. And they just go, work harder. I mean, right. it's like the worst thing you could say to somebody in, in many ways. It's like, it, just, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it so, kind of just perpetuates the problem more, right? If you think about it. Well, yeah. And so I think that that like what I found in myself was, Again, I know how to do that. I know how to suck it up. I know how to go harder, certainly. Like I've been doing it my whole life. And it's what made me able to do some of the things I've done in life and a lot of people. But, and that's that's a good message in the context of, of those types of things. Special operations miss, missions, athletes in a competition, you know, running a race, something like that, right? Dig deep, suck it up. Yes, got it. Makes sense. But it's terrible advice for someone that's really struggling mentally. It's like the worst advice you can possibly give to them for, for that problem, right? Yeah. Suck, suffer in silence, terrible idea if, you are, if you're in that state. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's the only tool so many people have, right? That's, that's all they know. And so that's what they do. And that's what I did too. And like I finally had to realize like that's not the, the best way to go about things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you already alluded to it, but I think one of the things that really hit home with a lot of us that were in the room at that event, because you were talking to a room full of 200 people who, generally speaking, take care of themselves fairly well from a physical fitness standpoint. Right. And you spoke about it just like you just said that, you know, we generally speaking know the things that you need to do in order to accomplish physical fitness. You know, you need to focus on your nutrition. You need to focus right. on your movement and your exercise. You need to focus on your recovery and your sleep. And, um, but that's not how we talk about the mental side of things from a mental health perspective. We talk about it as you have a condition or, right. or you're fine. Right. right. And right. how we treat it is not with diet and exercise and recovery and sleep. Like the physical side, we treat it with therapy. We treat it with medication as opposed to treating it like training. And, um, and man, I think when you said that, it just kind of like hit home. And even what you just said about, you know, I don't know that everybody, like somebody who maybe isn't dealing with what you would call a lot of challenges from a mental health standpoint, a lot of people maybe don't even know, don't know what to say to somebody who is, who is letting them know, Hey, I have a lot of anxious thoughts. I have a lot of these feelings or these thoughts creep into my head. I don't know if everybody knows what to say back to that if they've not gone through some of that themselves. Um, right. 
So like, even what you just said about, you know, saying just tough it out. Well, that's, that's probably not the best solution. In fact, there's a lot of other things you could say that would be much better than that. Yeah. Well, and just to dive into kind of the overall concept even more, right? So it's like, again, physical fitness, physical health, like we get, we basically get that. It's not to say we're perfect. We obviously don't know how to fix every problem out there, but we understand that physical health is a spectrum. It is not a yes, no proposition. It's not two groups of people. There's not healthy people and unhealthy people. Mm -hmm. We're all sort of sprinkled along this continuum and there's infinite locations along that continuum. And like I said, you can move yourself one way or the other mm-hmm. by, and we know essentially what does that it's diet. It's what you eat. It's exercise and it's sleep. And there's some other factors that we could throw in there. There's sort of hacks and sunshine exposure or sunlight exposure and things like that. But like those three things basically solve that's, that's the input, right? That's the, uh, that's the formula to get. Mm-hmm. And so the better you are at those things, the fitter you are. That moves you to the fitness end of the spectrum, right? And again, it's a slow process. It doesn't happen overnight. If you are a shit eater and uh, don't sleep well and uh, don't exercise uh, and you've never done any of those things, well, you don't go have one healthy meal and get in the gym once and get one good night of sleep and all of a sudden you're fixed. That's not how it works. You have to commit to new habits and new practices that will slowly get you fitter and fitter and fitter. Yeah. And again, even when you get there, wherever you want to be, you just got to wake up and do it all over again tomorrow. That's just like, you just have to keep doing it. But the, but the big thing is that it's on you. No one's, it's like, some people want to do this with, what is it? Ozembic these days or whatever, right? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's empowering. It's like the person who's going to get you fitter is you. No one can eat for you. No one can sleep for you. No one can exercise for you. You can get help and people teaching you how to do those things, but you have to do all the work. And yet on the mental side of things, we essentially say the opposite. We say, no, it's a, it's a binary thing. Does this person have problems or not? Right. And if they have problems, then we're going to get them help. We're going to get them therapy. We're going to get them pharmaceuticals or whatever. And it's completely a disempowering message of just, we have to treat you because you have a condition. You essentially have disease, but you have, and we even use those terms. We, you have anxiety, you have depression, you have PTSD. And I just think that that's totally wrong. Who's going to fix your mind for you? Some other person? And yeah. it's not they can't teach you. Therapy can be really good. And I'm not anti-pharmaceutical either. But ultimately, what we should be doing is telling people, no, 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 you actually have the power to impact yourself here. But the the kind of the thing I I talk about is even when you say that, people don't know what to do. They don't know what the we don't know what the diet exercise recovery is of mental fitness, right? If we're going to train ourselves in the mental health spectrum to the mental fitness or what I like to call mind fitness end of the spectrum. Okay, how do you do that? What do you do? And right. so that's where I had to kind of go, okay, what are the components here? Like, you know, how do you figure out what the components are? And then what does it look like? Because we, it's got to be actionable. It's mm-hmm. it can't just be theoretical. We can't just be operating with like, hey, here's all these nice ideas and everything, but we got to, it got to turn into principles that people can actually action against. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, because like you said, it's the same thing on the on the physical th- side of things. And we see this every day in our office, any other 
you know, any other medical provider, personal trainer, coach, it would be, I don't even want to say it would be cool. It, it wouldn't be cool. We can't do the work for the client, right? The client has to do the work. And like what I'm sure everyone tries to do is like, we really try to empower that. Like, I don't get the credit. If you feel better because you came in with knee pain to our office and several weeks later, now your knee's feeling better and you're back to doing the marathons and the things you want to do. I helped you along the way, but I didn't do it, right? You right. did it. It's your, right. like, it's your knee, and it's your body. And it's the terminology, right? You're a trainer or a, yeah. or a coach. What do coaches and trainers do? They teach you, mm-hmm. right? That's the best coaches and trainers out there, are the best teachers. Definitely. And so even from a mental health perspective, a therapist is really a, a coach or yes. should be yes. a coach in the sense that you might go to a therapist and I've gone to therapy. And again, therapists can be great. But you have to think of them like a coach where it's, and they need to think of themselves as a coach where it's teaching you what you don't realize or what you don't understand or, or mm-hmm. any, but you have to take that on board and eventually enact it yourself. Mm-hmm. If your thought process is, I always have to go to the therapist every day for the, or not every day, we'll call it every week for the rest of my life, because that's the, they keep me grounded or fix me or whatever. Like, no, no, we're not, we're not making progress. <laughs> You know, I think your goal as a physical therapist is to get your client out the door as fast as possible, right? It's to heal, to help them heal. And then hopefully they don't have to see you. I mean, ideally that's a victory, right? Yeah. And I think therapy or coaching from a mental side should be the exact same thing. It's like, well, I want to get this person so they don't come to my office anymore. That's the whole idea. So they feel like, okay, I got it. I understand what I'm doing wrong now. And I've got a plan and a way to counteract that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so, uh, I think it's so important to conceptualize the idea that all of this lies, like you said, along a continuum. And I think that's one of the the best things, but also sometimes the most frustrating things about fitness is you never get there, right? right. Like there right. is no end point. You could win, you know, um, the Arnold show, right? Like you're the most fit bodybuilder in the world. Yeah. But what do you do tomorrow? Or, or like, Somebody's right. going to be competing to try and beat you next year, or you could have just run a PR in the marathon, or you could have run your very first 5k and there's always more to do, right? There's always more that you could try and improve upon. And what, what I think we always talk to people about is it's not really about getting to the place. It's about the journey along the way. And it's about the, yep. uh, what, what I like to call the leading indicators. Like what are the things that you do to help you achieve the result? And really dialing in and enjoying the process of doing those things is that's, that's really what you're looking for. That's what's going to help drive the results. You have to fall in love with the process. Yeah. The way it's ever going to work is that you have to be in love with the process. I am in love with the, I'm a CrossFit guy and I fell in love with the process of CrossFit probably, I don't know what it is, this 12 years ago or something like that, where it was like, okay, I like this process. I mean, I've sort of been in love with the process of physical fitness for Mm -hmm. my whole life, but it was like, that's fun. I like working out with these other people. I like the leaderboard thing. Like it works for me. Right. And so to your point, I mean, I do have a goal in in the sense that I still want to be fit. I want to look good and feel good and all of that, but it's like, I dig the process of going to the gym. And so you have to be a process for your mental health that you can fall in love with. Right. Mm -hmm. Where it's like you enjoy the, the process and are committed to it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So with that in mind, let's start, let's start talking about that a little bit. Like what does the process, like we talked about, you know, physical fitness, diet, nutrition, diet, nutrition, exercise, sleep and recovery. Let's start talking about what the process is for mind fitness. And like, what are the steps that, um, that you found were successful and beneficial for you? And I like that you said at, you know, a little bit more towards the beginning, how, you know, I think I'm, 85 to 90% along the way towards recovery. However, you know, how do I know? Because it's, it's an ongoing process and there's not necessarily an end point. And I think that's one of the best, the best things about it in a way. Um, so what have you found? Let's lay out the mind fitness kind of process for people. Yeah. So, so it, just backing up a little bit, because for all yeah. of you, this process of kind of discovery, but what I had to do was, okay, if, if you're going to take ownership of this and say, this is a discipline that's on me, you got to, for me, I had to start with like, what do I, what am I doing wrong? Like, mm-hmm. okay. Because it was like, I don't really know how to do this right. Or I don't know how to do a lot of it right. And so let me analyze what I'm doing right now, because most of it's probably wrong. <laughs> and so I talk about what I call the mind killers, um, which is seven things that seven tendencies that I think just about everybody has to some extent, some more than others in certain areas. That's what you have to figure out. But they are oblivion, suppression, fear, storytelling, stagnation, injury, and isolation. Mm-hmm. And and like, you know, I, I would talk for an hour if I went into every single one of these things <laughs> like I do when I talk to an organization or something. But the basic starting point is oblivion. And the, the idea is, is you have to become aware of the thought process in itself. You have to, you have to tap in and start to observe what you're thinking and not think that it's you. Mm-hmm. And that's what most people don't do. And most people never get to that point. Most people identify with their own thoughts. They think I am my thoughts. Like I am generating my thoughts and that's me. And any thought I quote unquote think is something that I have to take very seriously and take on board. And that isn't right at all. And it took me till I was probably in my mid forties. I'm 48 at this point. Yeah. To understand that, that it's not to say you can't think about things or focus your attention. You can do that. Clearly I'm doing that right now, but the, the thoughts that show up in your head, just show up. There's just this sort of stream of information that just percolates to the top and you're not choosing any of that. You're not deciding it. Sam Harris says you don't think something before you think it, which I think is a great way to, to say that. Yeah. And that's a lot of people don't understand that or don't even realize it, but all you have to do is kind of like sit and pay attention to what's going on for about a minute and you'll figure that out. Um, if you're really focused on what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing is being able to dis- disidentify with thought. Like that is the step one. You have to be able to, because everything else is kind of built on top of that. Uh, and that's where like a basic meditation practice comes into play for the most part. A lot of people don't like that term, meditation. It's it yeah. sort of like, I'm not, and this is a thing where if you come from a certain segment of society, be it special operations or first response, whatever it may be, where it's like, well, I'm not one of these hippy dippy dudes that sits in the corner, like lotus position and burns incense and everything like that's crap's not for me. And so, but that it doesn't need to be that it doesn't need to be, it doesn't have to have any of that, um, 
like branding on top of it at all. Mm-hmm. It's just a, some, an awareness practice and it can be like yeah. a two minute thing. And I, I talk about, I did this in the presentation, right? Just a two minute exercise of just being able to notice your thoughts. And there's a bunch of different ways to do that. But that's kind of step one in my mind is, is just yeah. coming up with a practice. And like, I go through exercises of this, of it doesn't need to be sitting in a cave for a year. It doesn't need to be sitting there for an hour or anything, but just becoming aware of this again, so that I always say the, the purpose of meditation in my mind for me, or whatever you want to call it, you can call it something else. You can call it an awareness practice is not to become a great meditator. Not what I'm doing. If you want to do that, great. If you want to do one of these things where you're in silent retreat for three months, great. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's not what I want to do. I want the re- I want to be more aware the rest of my life. I want to be aware when someone cuts me off in traffic that like that the anger sensation I get is just a sensation and the thought that flashes in my mind is not anything I have to latch on to. I can just let it go. Yeah. Um, those types of things, those scenarios, or when I, I get riled up, like I can feel sort of like a fear-based sort of response coming on. I can disassociate from that or a panic attack even and go, okay, I actually don't have to give that any energy. I can like, just say, okay, this is happening, but it's not me, so to speak. That's the key. It's, it's trying to do that. It's again, it's sort of like going to the gym. I go to the gym so that I feel better and look better the rest of the time. Not not that moment. Yeah. Not that moment. Right. Yeah. In fact, I might not look all that good in that moment. I might be doubled over and heaving <laughs> and breathing hard, but that's fine. I'm putting in the effort there so that the rest of the time is better. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so for me, it really starts there. And then it sort of it builds on that. So I talk about um storytelling, which is I go into kind of specific thoughts from there. So the, the basic sort of thing is this awareness practice. Yeah. But then we sort of have these tendencies of specific thought patterns that really are destructive. One is storytelling, which is interpreting things that have happened to you in the past. It's basically creating a narrative around a memory that bothers you. And that can be, for a lot of people, it's a traumatic memory. And that trauma can have a lot of different flavors. It can be something you did. Like that was kind of my thing was sort of like this sort of tactical error that I had, like a professional embarrassment. Um, which I refer to as a Bill Buckner moment for baseball fans out there in mm-hmm, Boston. Mm-hmm. It can be something that happened to you. Like, you know, there's a lot of trauma victims out there like that. It can be something you witnessed. Like if you were on ground zero when the plane flew in and 9-11 or something like that, right? Where it wasn't like directly at you, but you ex- you witnessed this. And so things like that are memories that we then build a story around a lot of times that's destructive for us. It's like, I'm weaker because of this. This happened to me and I'll never get over it. Everyone's laughing at me. Nobody likes me, whatever, all all that stuff. And all of that is just context that you've glammed on to a memory that doesn't innately exist. Like it's not actually tied to the memory itself. Like you've, you've injected that. And most people don't look at it that way. They think I've got to feel a certain way about this. I've got to think a certain way about this. And it can be really destructive. That was what the case was for me. It's like, I just kept telling this like really destructive story to myself, which is essentially PTSD. PTSD is kind of, my mind is sort of made up of two components. It's that component, the storytelling component. And then it's a lot of emotional 
processing that hasn't happened, the sort of physical stored memory type component, which is suppression. That's kind of the next thing I get to. And so you have to learn, again, with the sort of awareness that you don't have to tell that story anymore. And it can be challenging to do that, but really trying to rewrite the narrative of past experiences that that stick with you in this way, you know? And it's, it's usually not a lot either. It's like we have, we have tons of memories. Most right. of them aren't accurate. Most of them we don't pay attention to or think about, but we've got like a, a couple oh, of them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, right? They come up a lot. Maybe you have uh, like you know, almost nightmares about them sometimes too. People have sure. things like that, right? Like you dream about something over and over again. And it's just because you're locked in this loop of like telling yourself this screwed up story about it, you know? So the other component of, the, of that for a lot of people is this inability to, what happens to us a lot, and, and I've done a lot of reading on this, is as a as a kid, um, we experience something and it's, it's traumatic. And basically we don't know how to deal with it. Like we don't know how to process it. We don't know how to feel about it. And so we sort of lock these feelings away in various parts of our body. Yeah. And that's something that sounds really woo to me. <laughs> like it used to sound really woo to me, like this idea of a body memory, but it's 100% true. Like I can, I can attest to the fact that, that is a real thing. Uh, and the example I use is actually that we know memories are a thing. Like yeah. we're, we're all in agreement there. You experience something and you can, there's information an experience that's imprinted in your body. And we we think it's in your brain, but we don't actually know that it's 100% just in your brain. But you can recall this, right? Like it's right. data that's stored in your cells, you know? And when you break it down like that, it's like, yeah, that is kind of weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Like that's what's happening. You have an organic s- cells, right? In your body that store information, energy in this way. And the problem is, is that energy can be dysfunctional. So overloading the system, if it's a really traumatic thing, it can cause dysfunction in various ways. And certainly if you are somebody who's, I I always, again, I come at it from this sort of veteran experience, but go through a lot of trauma, a lot of things that like you should be able to process emotionally that you don't. And I can speak for myself. I spent a lot of years just kind of stuffing every emotion down. It's like, somebody dies, like not going to deal with that. Right. Like just every heartache, everything that you should be able to grieve over. It's just like, Nope, not going to deal with that. Just stuff it down. Yeah. And that can really screw you up over time. And so I had to spend a lot of time and energy learning how to process those emotions and being okay with crying and being okay with figuring out how to cry and still working on it too. Mm-hmm. But it was like, I mean, I give some of these examples. I mean, we're talking like various treatments and therapies of crying for hours, literally, like screaming and wailing, right? Yeah. And that's, when you think about that, because it's like, it doesn't come from nowhere, right? That energetic response, the reason we have emotions is because it is the way our bodies deal with experiences that sort of overload our circuitry. Right. Yep. It's the way we process external energy. So something there's a there's an external influence, an energetic influence on me. The way my body processes that is through emotions, you know. Um, so it's not like they're useless. <laughs> it's not like we should right. just ignore them. They have a very specific purpose. And and again, if we resist that, um, I always use the very 
crude example of like holding in a fart. It's like, right? Like, okay, can you do that? Yeah, you can. If you keep doing it, it's really going to be uncomfortable and painful and toxic. And so you're doing the same thing with this sort of emotional energy. It's like, you're just, it's like, you're just keeping the cork on the bottle and you just keep shaking it up over and over and over again. Yeah. It's like that needs some, some release. So when I think about that, when I think about myself crying for like two hours in a row, it's like, holy shit, that is a lot of stored up energy, right? Like yeah, exactly. A lot of dysfunction. So that's kind of, those are sort of the, the backwards looking pieces there is the, mm-hmm. so, so the counter to that is, is learning to express that and, and learning how to move energy. And a lot of that for me came down to not only expressing feelings, but doing proactive things like breath work and yeah. things like Qigong, where you're moving and breathing. Like there's a lot of just sort of thinking about yourself as an energetic being mm-hmm. uh, and not just a material being. Right. Like we, right. we so much in Western medicine that is about you as a material being. You're this sack, you're this meat sack, right? Filled with chemicals, basically. And there's there's so little that is devoted to you as an energetic being. And mm-hmm. it's equally a, a part of you. I mean, it's what's keeping you alive, basically, right? Like the difference between if I were to drop dead, right, in the next minute, the energy would be gone from my body physically it'd basically be the same right sure so like that's a real thing that we have to we have to deal with so that that's kind of the the next thing and then it makes good sense on the like releasing of energy because i mean if you think about it any other way like okay well how does our body you know say you're exercising right we're building up heat well we release that we release the built-up energy in our body by breathing heavier by expelling heat by sweating you know a car has an exhaust pipe for a reason to release built up stuff from the work that the engine's doing right so i think i think your example of you know holding in a fart is is a good one because it's um you know it's easy to picture like your body's trying to release something that is energy that was produced from something else potentially something that you ate right and um, sorry i should say the the just going back to the storytelling piece the, the counter to that, the overall counter is gratitude. So it is the idea of any memory you have, you can put in a thankful light. You can, you can create a reason why you're thankful for that. Almost yeah. anything really. Uh, and it's, it's getting into that practice and it's, and it's habitually putting that into practice too, where you just start to like make yourself thankful for things mm-hmm. proactively attitude gratitude that type of idea is really important instead of this sort of like regret you know i don't know what you call it but like attitude of regret which is yeah. kind of i did forever like it was like i walked around with this cloud of regret over me i wish this thing didn't happen yeah yeah right right i just i wish this didn't happen i was just gonna like say that until i died basically hmm. you know um and uh and just changing that so yeah What's up, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix here from The Code, and I want to encourage you to check out our friends at Flux Footwear, the only shoe with an adaptive sole that moves and flexes with you. Since I got my first pair, they've been one of my favorite shoes to wear no matter what activity I'm doing throughout the day. If you're looking for a shoe that can keep up whether you're going to the gym, to the office, traveling, or just catching a coffee date, you're looking for Flux. 
Visit the link in the show notes or check out my Instagram to get 10% off and pick up your pair today. Yeah. So let's see. We've gone through oblivion to storytelling yep. to suppression. And yep. um, if I remember right, the next thing uh, is fear. Fear. Yeah. yeah. So this was probably the biggest thing for me. And this is where the idea of a mind killer comes from. It comes from Dune. There's a the book, uh, originally the book. Now the, I don't know. They've made the movie a couple of times now. Yeah. but. There's a um, there's a, a saying in there called the litany against fear, which is sort of this idea of, and it goes, fear is the mind killer. That's what it starts with. And the idea is that the, if you're in a really stressful situation, fear is a, is a natural system in our body. It's a natural reaction. It's designed to keep us alive, mm-hmm. but it can really crush your mind, right? Like it, because it, what it does is it makes you want to, this whole fight or flight, it makes you want to run away or fight or freeze. Right. And it's designed to physiologically get you out of danger. That's what it's doing. But it can screw with the way you think about the, the situation and can potentially get you into a worse situation. So the more you can kind of keep a level head, the better off you are. And I think lots of people get that, like an acute situation. Again, going back to the yeah. veteran thing, like if you're in combat, you get that. That makes sense. Like real life threatening situations. The problem is that so much of us then spend a time or time in chronic states of fear, which yeah. we typically call anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know? Anxiety is just fear by another name, as far as I'm concerned. There's disagreements on that. It depends a little bit of semantics there. But from a physiological standpoint, you're doing the same thing. You're telling your body that it's in danger and you're telling your brain that it's in danger. And once you do that habitually, mm-hmm. you're, you are literally ramping up this limbic system in your body, the amygdala and some other components of your brain to essentially live in fight or flight at all times. And that again, really screws you up because when your body is in legitimate danger, it does things. It makes you sweaty. It makes, it narrows your field of vision. It sends blood, blood away from your like internal organs to your extremities so you can fight and you can run. Yeah. Right. Right. And we've all felt that we felt that if if you're nervous in front of a crowd or something, you get butterflies in your stomach or you get sweaty palms. Like we know that that emotion affects you physiologically. And so if you, if you're sort of on this low level state like that for years, you just can't like, for me, it would cause brain fog. It caused dizziness. It caused all sorts of things. And I, and you can, make it worse by then focusing on those symptoms, their sensations really, Mm -hmm. and thinking there's danger there, that then just reinforces it back to your brain. And then it goes, goes back. Right. And so if you talk to a lot of people about that, they'll say, well, I'm not afraid of anything. And you say, okay, well, do you, do you carry a gun around with you at all times? Do you, like a concealed carry, do you go into a restaurant and like scan for the safest seat with your back to the wall so you can see the front door? Because all of that stuff is our fear-based responses. And again, just reinforcing to your brain that like, yep, the world's a dangerous place. You need to be yeah. hypervigilant. And that's a hypervigilant state. And and you have to get yourself back to down to, no, I'm safe. Like most of the time, I'm safe. Mm-hmm. Put that actual danger out there. 
And so it's, for me, it's, you have to adopt this kind of like attitude of curiosity. And if it's really bad, you have to go into some of the neural training systems that are out there uh, that I've found really helpful. Um, But it's really important. And it's, and so in that context, you're sort of dealing with like, overall, you're dealing with this oblivion idea of becoming aware of your thought process through some meditation practices. You're dealing with sort of the stuff that happened in the past through suppression and storytelling, right? Like rewriting the narrative, becoming grateful of these things, learning to process emotions appropriately through breath work and journaling and things like that. And then making sure that you're not like you're, you're not feeding this system of fear when you're looking ahead. Right. So, so now you've got kind of like the way your thoughts go back to the past and to the future yeah, uh, and dealing with that appropriately as well. And then beyond that, there's this sort of the last three mind killers that I talk about are, are slightly different. The first is first of those is stagnation, which is this idea of, I think so many people, I certainly was at this point, they get into this idea where they're sort of like, well, I hit my peak, you know, in my life. I was, I was in the military for 20 years and that's the best thing that'll ever happen to me. And it's all downhill from here. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they don't grow their minds literally anymore. It's just, you're stagnant, right? It's like, yeah, that's the best thing. That's just nothing will ever be that good, which is in and of itself a story. Um, but there's so many positive benefits that come out of this sort of growth mindset of like of lifelong learning, not only of reading books, like educating yourself, but skill-based stuff. And I'm a really big fan of adopting some kind of skill, whether it's mm-hmm. instrument or archery or Brazilian jiu-jitsu, like it, it like the whole idea is it involves your body in some way. Because by doing that, you are literally building new neurons in your, in your brain, you're expanding your, your mind and making it grow. The other good thing about it is if you're somebody who spends a lot of time sort of locked in thoughts, uh, and that's like, I'm certainly that way when you are learning something, if it's for me, it's instruments. So Mm -hmm. I, I started playing the piano about four years ago when I'm doing that. I really can't be anxious because I I have to be focused on what I'm doing. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm literally like looking at my hands and I'm trying to read notes and everything. There's no way I can entertain a thought that's like worrying about something or regretting something. And so it's a really good distraction from that, but, but helps to sort of get you out of that pattern of behavior. And I think yeah. that's a big aspect to it too. I've um, heard people talk about that kind of concept with, uh, you know, with the activity of like mountain biking, right. Or some other physical activity that you have to be very focused on. Like I'm talking about mountain biking, like on a trail, right. Not like on some, some path that, you know, that you never after encounter an obstacle, but something where you're mountain biking on a trail and you have to be focused. Otherwise you will crash, right? Like you have to be present and it takes your mind off of all those other things. Cause you're just focused on what you're doing. And it, but it, even more so, it connects your mind and your body. Again, totally. A lot yeah. of what happens to us is we we literally sort of almost disassociate from our bodies and we become just focused on our And I was somebody who used to think this was a good thing where it's like, no, I should, like I'm a cerebral being and thinking is really important. And it mm-hmm. is, but we have to feel as well. And it's not just emotions. It's It's like that connection with our body. So like, I love that example of mountain bike on a trail. It's like, yeah, 
you're present. Like you are in the moment right there. And that's what you want to be, right? I'm focused on what I'm doing. Um, it's like, I'm using my body. Like that's fantastic, you know, and it's exercise. I mean, like it's yeah, got yeah. sorts of benefits to it. So that, and and then that aspect as well leads to other things like problem solving, which is, which is sort of a, a component of that that you build on. So like you learn skills, you you educate yourself, then you can problem solve within those skills. And then the the sort of pinnacle is then artistic expression, creation. Yeah. Whether it's a new piece of music or a new move or whatever it may be, right? Like the ability to create is pretty special i think in terms of the the human race and our our mm-hmm. sort of abilities right yeah and you can only kind of do that when when you you've got a little bit of skill under your belt there um and it also leads itself i should say it also leads into kind of play as well like one of the beauties of there's a lot of science out there that supports just kind of play in oh, its yeah. ability to help you mentally physically all those types of things and so having kids just go out and play like come up with games figure you know that's that's like it's essentially problem solving and creation right it's like we've got what do we have here we have a patch of grass and we got this stick and you know and they'll figure something out they'll come up with like a game that's free play so awesome for your mind but we totally get out of that practice as adults and don't do it anymore and again if you get in this sort of stagnant mindset Mm -hmm. we're going to do that stuff and so figuring out ways to do that right so it's like on the piano it's it's like get away a little bit from just learning stuff like just plunk around on this thing you know treat it like don't take it too seriously either i think is the point there yeah 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 um and so the last two are injury and isolation and injury is essentially all the physical stuff, which is to say that as much as the mental component, and I should I should say I didn't say at the the beginning here, it's really important to contextualize what we mean by mind, um, because there's a lot of talk out there about br- the brain and brain health, and that's really important, obviously. But your brain is not your mind. Your mind, your brain is an organ that's inside of your head. And we, and, but it's just like any other organ that's in your body. We feel like sort of our brain is us because of the fact that our eyes are on our head and our ears are on our head. And so we have this conception that we are this homunculus that's behind our eyes, sort of looking out at the world, right? And and now we put so much emphasis on the brain and that only sort of reinforces that concept. Yeah. But your mind is the output of all that. It's this experience that you're having. And there's no separation or line of demarcation between you, your mind, or your experience. Those are all one and the same thing. And so the the analogy I always use is, as a musician, I think of my body and my brain as a guitar. Mm-hmm. I can even break it down to like, my body is the the wood of the guitar and the my brain is like the strings. But the but the mind, me, is the music, right? And that music isn't like something you can point to. It's not something that really comes exactly from a specific spot. It's not something that exists. It only exists in the present moment. And that analogy is so important to understand, right? Like what we're trying to improve is the experience. Yeah. Not a brain, you know? 
But getting back to the injury thing, all that being said, certainly our experience relies heavily on what we do with our body, right? The healthier we are, the better sleep, certainly lack of sleep. Does that affect your mind, your experience? Hell yeah, it does. All you have to know, like if you drink, you know, a six pack of beer, does that affect your experience, you know, and the way you operate? Absolutely. <laughs> so when I say injury, it's sort of this broad category of, of all the ways we, we detract from the, the sort of health of the physical makeup that our mind rests on, you know, or emanates from, if you want to think of it that way. Mm -hmm. There's even debate on that. Like if we, if it's truly emanating from there, or if it's like a signal that we pick, who knows? But yeah. I will say, we all know for a fact that those things, if we don't take care of our body, if we eat poorly, if we don't exercise, if we don't sleep, you know, those things negatively affect our mind, our experience, you know? Um, and that injury can be taken as far as things like traumatic brain injury or, you know, whatever else it may be. But those things also aren't showstoppers. They can be worked around. And and I, I don't like some of the messaging out there right now that says kind of the opposite. It's almost like, oh, if you have TBI, you're so screwed. You're just screwed for life. And it's just not true. Um, yeah. Those things can be worked around. But the point with that is just, you know, you have to take a hard look at the act, the physical makeup that you're your sort of mind is is riding around on and take care of it. Um, and I had to do that. And I had to do it beyond that too. I had like really tricky stuff, Lyme disease and, you know, heavy metal toxicity and things like that. Like that's tricky stuff. But I had to, I had to address that because it was definitely making an impact on my, on my experience. Absolutely. Um, in fact, that, just that component of what I had to deal with could be a, a, like a whole book in, in and of itself that I could uh, go into. And then the last one is isolation. Um, oh, and so anyway, on that too, I think the last component is there's sort of a piece of that too that is like this, the way to approach that is that go harder mindset, right? That just like go, just trash your body basically, like run it into the ground. Sure. It's like, yeah, no, that's not a good idea. Like we need, I'm sort of big on this idea of balance. And I, and that's the, to me, the antithesis of that injury is figuring out what your body looks like from a balanced perspective. Like yeah. how is it balanced? Uh, and there's people that rally against that. Like, no, 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 you need to be unbalanced if you're going to be successful. Okay. I still think people that choose a discipline and go hard in it, they are balanced in the context of that discipline. They sleep well, they eat well, certainly if you're going to be a world-class athlete. Um, and you can't, you can't ride the red line forever. You just right. can't. And it has impacts. So, so it's, I'm big on like with me and physical fitness, I'm still a CrossFit guy. I think I always will be. That's what I like to do, but I've injected some yoga into what I do to try to balance that out a little bit. Cause that's helpful, you know? So to me, it's, that's kind of the, the thing you're seeking. Yeah. And then with the isolation piece, it's like, look, we, um, I think we got a sort of a test. We got a free test. Uh, pardon the pun with COVID the last couple of years of mm -hmm, what, mm -hmm. what it looks like when we isolate ourselves and it's not good. Um, and unfortunately we become more, we become more and more isolated. We, I mean, look at us right now, we're having a, a conversation over a zoom and that's, right. that's great, but we're not physically co-located. There's a lot of people now that essentially sit in a room by themselves all day long and stare at a screen. Right. Um, and 
and seek. And because of that, they potentially seek sort of ideological tribes. They try to find communities that are not really where they're not present, actually. And some of those can be beneficial. I'm not saying that. But I'm, I really found that I had to find community again. Like I just had to figure out ways to get together with people. For me, the best place is, is actually my gym. That's where I yeah. really get together with people. And it's like, I'm physically present with other human beings and I'm laughing and having a good time. And you have to force yourself into some of these things, I think now. Uh, and I give this example of, we talk a lot about self-care these days and you hear right. that like, Hey, when you're, when you're having troubles, you need some self-care. Mm-hmm. And it's some of those things are good, but it's this idea of, hey, you're feeling sort of alone and depressed and what you need is more alone time, which I think is completely the wrong approach. And you'll get people that'll say, well, your grandfather didn't need self-care. Like, you know, the World War II vets didn't need self-care, whatever. And it's like, well, what they, yeah, they did. What they did was they got together with buddies and they went bowling. Like they had a bowling league or they had a poker night or something like that. And the re- and they they were able to essentially have free therapy with other people. And that's what you get when you work with a team. Like you just, you talk things out and it's not, it doesn't even feel like that's what you're doing, but right. you're like, you know, that interaction with people, it's like, Hey, we talked about this, like, how, how's it going and this and that. And, it, and that component is so important. We are social animals. We have evolved to operate in small groups of 150 or so people. And man, the more we lose that, it's just, it's just really bad. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That community, it's, it's like the group mental fitness aspect of that is, is equally important. Um, so when you sort of take that all together, you can then extract all those sort of practices, meditation, journaling, like getting together with other people, making sure your diet's squared away, like blah, 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 blah. And, and then you congeal it into this, this new paradigm of mental fitness and practices that you can then build a regimen upon. And that's, that's kind of the next step that I, that I then take of trying to one, turn that into a, an actual um, paradigm. And I group those things under three categories, maintain, uh, orient and develop. Right. So it's like maintenance sort of, that's sort of the pyramid, although it's from, it's a circle, it's cyclical of mind fitness is, Maintenance is kind of all the body stuff, um, and I, and breath work is included there too, which I think we just completely ignore. Like this idea of like you have to start with breathing. Orientation is kind of like all it again orienting your mind. Like where are you? Are you with other people? Are you by yourself? Are you aware of your thoughts? Um, meditating, journaling, all those things to sort of like really get in tune with what's going on, so that you can course correct. Mm-hmm. And then the development aspect of it, which is sort of the growth idea there of then, okay, let's build on it. Let's make ourselves smarter. Let's make ourselves more skilled. Let's make ourselves more compassionate. All those types of things. Right. And that just goes around and around and around, right? It's not this pyramid with an end. It is just a, um, and the beauty of it to me is that you get physical fitness as a byproduct. I mean, I, it's not even a separate thing. It's a mind-body fitness thing, right? So you yes. get holistic fitness out of it. But the point is, like, if you're mentally fit, you will be physically fit as a result of that, you know? And it it's almost hard fun. not to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. And it's, and it's, um, 
it's it has to be that way because to if you just think about it objectively like the reason you go to the gym is because at least in that moment that you decided to go to the gym you were mentally fit right like you made a mentally fit decision to do that and then the experience you're having in the gym is you're you're only experiencing that mentally everything you feel is just a mental construct right right um, so to me it it just it starts and ends with that so then it's just building those practices into a regimen that works yeah you know and i think you know i would imagine that um you know that's going to look a little bit different for every individual of course just like yeah. any other regimen does that's any other fitness true. routine does but let me do this let me recap those um you know those different items you mentioned the mind killers that we deal with I have them all written down here yep and then um so and then i'm going to pair those with like the countermeasure the thing yeah. that you'd use on the flip side to that so we've got obliv oblivion in this idea that like i am the thoughts that i'm having and how we counter that is by working on our awareness potentially through something like meditation and just reframing that in in it being like well no i'm not those thoughts that's just information that's in my head right yep and then and it's just like and it's sorry to point this out no it's okay just like any other information that's what's really important it's like you have to think of it like a television or a radio or something. Those are streams of information that we don't latch onto necessarily. Like we just go, well, that's just information coming at me. Yeah. That same thing with your own thoughts. It's like, it's just a stream of information and you can treat it exactly the same way. I just think yeah. that I forgot yeah, about I, that. I kind of think of it like that. I watch, you know, ESPN. It's that like ticker across the bottom of the screen. It's just going yeah, I love in. That. That's great. It's, you know, you don't decide what's there. Somebody else, something else That's is even deciding. better. I'll, I'm going to use yeah. that. Yeah, the yeah. ticker at the bottom. Yep. Um, <laughs> okay, so after Oblivion, we move on to storytelling. And, you know, the, the emotions and the story that you have wrapped up with the memories. Um, and a way to counter that story that you're telling yourself is through some sort of a gratitude practice, right? Potentially yep. through something like journaling and sort of reshaping that. And instead of being upset or regretful that something happened, changing that story to, you know, I'm actually glad that this happened because here are all the good things that actually came out of that as opposed uh, to the other way around. And realizing that you, you, you can do that. You don't have, no one is forcing you yeah. to tell a specific story about a memory. No one. You're the only one that's doing it, right? And so there's absolutely no reason why you can't change that story. Yeah. Um, and then I think so many people probably relate to this idea of suppression and holding in the emotions rather than feeling them. And what we talked about is, you know, we have energy that we need to express. We need to move this energy from our body. Breath work is potentially an opportunity to do that or letting yourself cry if that's if that's what it feels like you need to do rather than suppressing the emotions that you have. Yeah. And, I, and I should say, I've um, actually morphed that term a little bit in terms of the counter. And I think the best way to express it is processing. Mm. What you're doing is processing. Yeah. Energy, you know? Yeah, I like that. Processing. Um, and then, you know, whether you're using the term anxiety, whether you're using the term fear, you know, we sometimes get locked into this, this fear mindset of, you know, expecting the worst out of a situation, as opposed to when something happens, happens, or if something's going to happen, just noticing it and being curious about it and saying, Oh, well, that was interesting, instead of being so concerned or fearful about it. Um, and that's really just like a retraining process that we need to go through, right? Reach retraining that, that idea in our mind. Right. And, and it should be, again, just like the sort of storytelling aspect, 
Nothing is innately scary. Mm-hmm. Nothing, right? There's people that are afraid of spiders. There's people who love spiders, right? Nothing is innately scary. So it's changing anything that's might may frighten you can make you interested too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the final three, right? Stagnation, one of those. Um, and this idea of like having a growth mindset, knowing that you can keep learning new things, right? You You have not reached the peak even if you're like, man, I'll never be in as good of shape as I was before. Well, that's that's a, your mind telling you that there are still things that you can do. Um, so replacing this idea of stagnation with growth and with, um, I think you you were talking about artistry in this, like the instrument side of things or learning a new skill um, and continuing to learn and, and educate yourself. Yes. And just realizing that the beauty of your mind is it can get better with age. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you know, brushing, not brushing aside, but like, unless you're afflicted with dementia or Alzheimer's or disease or whatever, you can pick these skills up and make yourself smarter almost forever. You yeah. know, you really can. Your body, unfortunately, you know, unless we, we're, we're working on the technology, but <laughs> body is just, will start to slowly decline. You're going to do your best to keep it kind of at, at peak performance. Yeah. But like you could pick up a new instrument when you're 70 years old. Yeah. You will get better at it, which means you you are actually expanding your mind. Totally. Right? And that's an amazing thing. And if you're not tapping into that ability, you're just missing out, you know, and you're, and you're not, and you're honestly just getting older. Like mm-hmm. you're letting yourself get older mentally. I think that neuroplastic um, idea or phenomenon was probably one of the most interesting things to me in my time going through physical therapy school and education was just this idea of like, your mind can continue to change and adapt. And uh, it's just fascinating. So, and then you talked about injury and isolation injury, you know, this, this concept of like, you know, you don't need to burn your body into the ground or we have had injuries and we need to work on healing those things working smarter, not just harder and finding a sense of balance, whether that's a balance in our life or whether that's balance in the construct of the thing that we're training for. Like maybe you're working on being a runner, maybe you're doing this. And just like you said, in looping yoga into your CrossFit practice, that's the exact same thing that I do. I don't, I don't necessarily train consistently in CrossFit. I will occasionally do CrossFit workouts, but man, I have loved the, um, once a week yoga class that I try to get myself into. But I do too. Just to mix it up a little bit. And um, and then you talked about isolation. And I like that you brought up the uh, the fact that, you know, we're both sitting here on Zoom calls. And I was actually having a similar conversation with a client today who that's basically what her, her work is, right? She is on Zoom with other people who she doesn't really know that much. And, you know, it's an isolating feeling. And how we need to get out of that is we need to find a tribe or find a community to be a part of, whether that's at the gym or whether that's a bowling league or a softball team or whatever it might be and socialize and reach out to those people and, uh, and get to know them. Cause really we need that community around us. Boom. Yeah. Awesome summary. Yeah. And then, you know, we talked about physical fitness falling in these categories of like diet, exercise, recovery, and sleep. And then on the mind and mental fitness side of things, having similar categories of maintaining, orienting yourself and continuing to develop yourself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Maintenance is the physical stuff, right? That mm-hmm. is basically 
with breath, with the breathing added, because to me, that is the other component that's just so critical to your physical makeup. And it's yeah. the one that sort of ties your mind and body together in a lot of ways, like yeah. your nervous system. And it's one that gets ignored a lot. And yeah. I, I think it's so critical. Yeah. I think wrapping this whole thing up um, like that is just... I don't know. I love it. I think the the concept of it is great. I think it ties really well into the way that probably most of the people who listen to this show think. And before we, you know, continue winding this episode down, I just want to give you an opportunity, Chris, to tell us a little bit about, you know, the company that you started. Tell us what Rare Sense is in case anyone wants to check it out. All the information um, and ways to find it will be in the show notes. But um, but what is Rare Sense? Yeah. So I mean, it's. Rare Sense is just the brand of mind fitness, basically. Yeah. So I wanted to give it a brand name. And it comes from a friend of mine, a, a fellow teammate from gosh, 20 years ago at this point. who He just made a comment one day, like, common sense isn't that common. It should be called Rare Sense. And I, I honestly don't know if he made that up or he stole it from somebody else. <laughs> who knows? But I always liked that idea. And I just felt, I feel like all of these ideas, It's it's really it's not exactly new knowledge. It's, it's more of like an amassing of everything that's out there that should be common sense and isn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the idea that I'm trying to put forth. So, I mean, I call it an, an uncommon approach to mental health. That's sort of the, the tagline to it. And so the Rare Sense brand lives under, I've got a website, rarsense.com. That's linked to a, a blog and newsletter, Substack. Some people don't know what Substack is, but Substack is essentially a blog newsletter. Yeah, uh, and that's where I publish content. So I put out an article every month. That's um, well, I should say. Let me back up. I do weekly training. So every Sunday I publish an exercise for the week, a mental exercise that falls into these categories of meditation, breath work, journaling, uh, skill work, and in different combinations. I think of it like a mental workout of the day. That's the idea. It's like yeah, just sure. a CrossFit wad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do it a week at a time because what I want people to do is try this practice and they're short too. It's not like you're do this for two hours. It's usually <laughs> 10 minutes, eight minutes, a couple times a day. But the idea is try this practice. Here's the idea behind it and see if you like it. See if it's effective for you. If it is great, maybe you want to adopt that as part of your daily routine or, or like something you come back to as needed. And if you don't like it, fine, throw it out. And then go on to the next thing. So every week I put that out. Um, and like some of the CrossFit workouts, like things come back around, right? Or they come in different totally. combinations. Uh, and I'm, I think I'm the only person that does that. I, I don't, I've never seen it anywhere else. Um, be, because again, I wanted things to be actionable. So then beyond that, I do a monthly article that will go sort of a deep dive on mm-hmm. one of these topics. I'll do a book recommendation that'll either augment that particular article or it'll be something else that's along the lines of sort of mental health and, and mind fitness or even the brain um, books that I've read that I think are important and, and helpful. And then I do a podcast as well. So I put out one, maybe two podcast episodes um, a, a month that are with practitioners. They're with experts. Like I just recorded one with a, he was at the PT conference. Andy's a, breathing expert. And I was like, great, let's talk about breath. Oh, work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we spent like two hours talking about breath work, 
but you can subscribe to it. You can subscribe for free. Um, but then there's a paid subscription if you kind of want everything, like if you want the full length articles and things like that, but it's only, it's 50 bucks a year, you know? So I know everyone gets subscribed to death these days, but <laughs> it's a lot of work. So it, it, it helps me out. Um, yeah. And just, and then I do, you know, speaking engagements with companies that want uh, either their HR department wants something or, or whatever. Like it was great talking to you guys. Uh, really interesting group as well. And I got to work out with everybody, which was yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Danny and I go way back. So it was, it was cool to, cool to hang out there. So, so yeah, that's, awesome. that's the brand. Um, I'd love for people to check it out. And then you can find me social media across the internet. I'm, at this Chris Irwin, that's I'm everywhere at that. So cool. Well, Chris, I appreciate that and laying all that stuff out. You guys that tuned in to listen to this episode of the code, we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. So if you're interested in checking out Rare Sense, Rare Sense, checking out the podcast that Chris does, man, please go do that. Go find it. And um, just like we're trying to reach 200 five star reviews on this podcast, man. If you listen to his, go drop a review on there too. I'm sure he would really appreciate that. So, um, again, for all you guys that tuned in to listen to this episode of the code, can't thank you enough. We hope to catch you on another one. And Chris, thanks again so much for your time, man. And, um, yeah, I hope you have an awesome rest of your night. Yeah, thanks, man. I should say, you have the best name, last name. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's if that played into your choice, your profession of choice, or if that was just like. You know, but man, that's a that's a great last name to have for us. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna leave that in this episode because it's funny because that gets brought up all the time. And sure uh, maybe we'll need to do a podcast on that specifically. Um, but no, I appreciate that. It's fun to yeah. talk about and uh, it's fun to pass business cards out with uh with fix as the last name because uh it really gets the conversation rolling. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Awesome guys, we'll catch you on the next episode of the code. See you later. Yeah.